welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, it's Dudley, and uh, this is Knock On Podcast number one. Uh, the very first one, and just so everyone out there knows, the intention of these podcasts are really another way for me to deliver information to the archery community. Uh, I get so many inbound emails and messages every day asking unlimited numbers of questions regarding any kind of topic that's archery related, and to be honest with you, I wanted this podcast as a way for me to be able to answer these questions for all of you and share it to everyone as well because there's some great questions that I get asked and it's important for everybody out there because it's things that everyone can put to use and everybody can benefit from. So, you know, I've got a a pretty extensive background for those of you who don't know me. I've competed as a target archer professionally for a a long time. I've competed on the U.S. archery team. And, uh, you know, recently a lot of people are starting to learn of me from Knock On TV, which is really my passion. Um, I'm definitely a target archer, and the target world internationally knows me very well. But, uh, you know, hunting has always been my favorite hobby, and really I became a target archer so that I could be a better bow hunter. And I know that I've become a better bow hunter because of my target archery. So I really want to utilize these podcasts as a way to broaden the amount of delivery that I have to all you guys out there. So, you know, what I plan on doing is definitely bringing some friends uh, onto the show at times. I've got some great friends, people that I've shot with and and uh, had relationships for a long time, people that a lot of you guys are probably going to recognize. But also, since, you know, for 10 years of my career, uh, I worked at Matthews. I started at Matthews when there was very, very few people there and uh, worked there for over nine years uh, before deciding to go out on my own. And now that I've been on my own, as many of you know, I've been with Hoyt now for Um, I guess about another six or seven years. So really for 15 years of my career, I've dealt with a lot of the manufacturing processes as well as being a professional shooter um, and, you know, definitely an avid hunter because that's my passion. So, you know, I'm confident that I can give you guys some good information and information that you can trust. And unfortunately, Right now in our industry, there's so many people that are delivering information that I think are hurting a lot of guys rather than helping them out. And, you know, it it sometimes pains me to get a call from a from a certain writer that, you know, wants to know how he should write an article about a subject that he sold to a magazine when in all fairness, he really doesn't even know the subject that he's talking about. So, um I just know from my experience, I've done a lot of things the wrong way, and I learned that that way did not work. So obviously, um, me climbing the ladder in my career 
was for making a lot of mistakes. And, you know, I really feel like I'm doing my part to archery to give this information back and help other people become better as well. I guess uh, let's jump into a few questions that I've been asked here quite a bit lately, to be honest with you. And uh, the first question is, what kind of stabilizer should I shoot? Um, you know, that's that's kind of one of the few loaded questions in archery. Um, honestly, stabilization is critical to archery. However, it's so much uh, revolves around personal preference as well as the actual build of the bow that you're shooting. You know, some bows that have um, naturally a lot of weight on the top of them, they may not need near the front weight or near the length of front rod that a bow that has more uh, weight at the bottom of the riser. You know, for an example, um, back when I very first started shooting, um, or when I was shooting pro, I always shot uh, a brass limb cup on my bottom limb just so that I could have a lot of mass below my hand. And for me, when it comes to adding mass to the bow, my personal preference and my belief is that I like to keep the mass close to my hand and under my hand. And, um, and I also really believe in shooting only enough weight that I can manage it throughout the whole day. You know, there's there's a lot of shooters out there that are shooting an incredible amount of front weight. And, uh, you know, obviously the whole archery world knows that, you know, Rio Wild shoots more front weight than probably any archer I know. But, and he's an amazing archer. Obviously, you know, he is, he is an unbelievable archer. But his form is really set up to be able to maintain that weight in the front. And a lot of people that are trying to shoot with a more um, T-shaped posture and with a front shoulder that is not crushed back against the spine, it's going to be dang near impossible to maintain that kind of front weight when you're only utilizing some of your shoulder muscles to keep it up because, and not to mention, even if you can do it for 20 shots, the amount of average archers out there that can maintain that type of shooting form or hold that kind of weight for 60, 70, 80 scoring arrows, that's when, that's when you run into the problem. So my basic rule of thumb is shoot enough mass weight on your bow to where you can calm your bow down but don't shoot so much mass weight that you can't shoot the full day's amount of arrows without getting into fatigue because if you start doing that then there's really no point in having that kind of weight because if you can only maintain it for 20 shots then what's the point if you've got another you know, 30 or 40 shots where you're going to be making uh, tons of errors because you can't maintain the weight. When it comes to the length of the rods, um, honestly, my rod is the length that it is simply because when I set it down on the floor, I want to be able to rest my front shoulder. I don't want to 
uh, have to hold my bow without relieving my shoulder the entire match. I really like to be able to make my shot, set my bow on the floor so that I can take a lot of that pressure off my front arm. And, uh, you know, everybody's different. Um, a lot of the guys that, that shoot, you know, 12 inch stabilizers or shorter stabilizers, um, you know, they can utilize like a, um, a bow holder on their leg or something like Michael Braden used to always shoot a, a bow holder on his leg so that he could set his bow on there and rest his arm. And I think that's critical, but, um, other than the length of the rod, you know, really try to keep your mass weight close to your hand. And in most cases below your hand, I don't really like a bow that's super top heavy, but again, that's, that's preference. Um, one thing that you can do as well, you know, you want to definitely go out and shoot your stabilizers not only on a calm day but also with a little bit of wind because you know years ago a lot of guys would shoot really big stabilizers and and bigger ones because they really liked the feel of them when it was calm but then once we got out in the wind you know we ended up running into issues because obviously you've got a lot more surface area for that wind to blow on so Nowadays, you're seeing a lot of the stabilizers get a lot more streamlined. Um, I'm shooting the the fuse blades simply because, you know, when it comes to a side wind, they're the thinnest out there. So I've had really good luck with them, and they're, and they're stiff. Uh, but I do use a suppressor on the end of mine. I really like a doinker suppressor on the end. So um, stabilization is a tough, tough thing to answer. It really comes down to personal preference, but you need to always factor in, can I shoot with the same form for the entire length of the tournament? If the weight is so heavy to where you can't answer yes to that, then it's not doing you any good to for the bow to feel better for 20 shots when you still have another 40 to go. So make sure you can maintain it from the first practice arrow all the way through counting on the fact you make the finals because that's going to be critical. Um, then I like to keep my weight closer to my hand rather than way out just because sometimes when you're shooting on side hills, um, when I shot on you know some of the really tough European field courses, when I had a lot of weight way out to the sides of my bow, um, it just seemed like on the side hill, I kind of fought it a little bit more than when I had my mass a little bit closer to center. So, you know, that's my basic rule of thumb. There's a lot of awesome stabilizers out there right now, guys. It's, you know, years ago, um, there was some clear-cut winners to who made a great stabilizer, but kind of everybody's on the suppression wagon right now. They're making great stabilizers that do have some suppression, and, uh, you know, if you're a hunter, don't feel like you need to, to have a super big stabilizer. Um, you know, I personally don't like to have a super heavy bow when it comes to hunting. So I shoot a 10-inch blade uh, with with just one weight on the end, and I'm totally happy with that. So uh, stabilizer question, that's my answer. Uh, next thing is, you know, people are asking me, um, you know, when is the best time to, you know, mess around with equipment? And honestly, right now is the time. 
It's uh, the end of February. And for me, at the beginning of spring is the time as an outdoor target archer. That's when I did a lot of my experimenting and also on the bow hunting side. Um, That's when I did a lot of my vein comparisons, my broadhead comparisons. That's when I did a lot of different long-distance shaft comparisons, Um, you know, maybe seeing how uh, a certain magnification scope works. I really like to do that right now in the spring when the weather's a little bit stabilized, the air's a little bit cooler, and uh, it's a it's a great time now. If you're a 3D archer, obviously you know this is you're already two tournaments into your season, so it's really not the best time to be playing with stuff. In all fairness, I always found that I was better off making some experiments with my equipment at the end of my 3D season. As much as I really felt like I wanted a break, I went out and uh, I used those last few weeks before the hunting season started is my time to make a few little equipment tweaks because in all fairness too even though you're a little bit burned out for the season you are shooting all the time so you're able to to really get a good idea of what's working and what's not the only problem with shooting um, and doing a lot of experimenting right now is if you haven't been shooting much, you might be just a little bit rusty. So you kind of need to factor in, are you making good shots? But right now is the time of year where I really do a lot of fletching of arrows with different length veins and, you know, broadheads especially. This is a great time of year. Um, you know, I always come back from the ATA show I get some different broadheads that I see at the show, and I always wait for a really nice day here in the spring, and I'll just start lobbing these things down at long range and starting to plot them. And, you know, as much as people make claims on broadhead flight, for me, it's you can give me as many sales pitches or claims as you want. The bottom line for me is if I can screw that thing on and shoot my 100-yard bale out here, if if it flies true and if it groups relatively close to my field point and then it actually shoots a comparable group size, even though it might be in a slightly different place, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely the, the immediate sales pitch that I need. Um, I don't know how many times I've read a package and it's told me, you know, field point accurate and I step out here, I shoot a field point at 100 yards and then shoot the field point accurate quote quote unquote broadhead and it's not even close. I mean, it's not even ethical to do it. So that's one thing that I really stress. You know, a lot of guys send me emails saying, well, you know, I bought some some Rage broadheads and I bought some Shuttle T-Locks. You know, they should shoot the same. And it's like, well, you know what? If everything is 100% perfect, they might. But you always need to just consider the fact that they're probably not. So make sure you do, you know, what's ethical and what's morally right for that animal. And that's always get out there and test 
that sort of stuff for your hunting. Make sure 100% you know where it hits. But uh, when it came to, to target shooting or my field shooting, if I ever got like a new uh, sight for a year or a new scope, a new size scope or a new power lens, maybe I was trying a different dot. Um, or even, you know, if a company like, for example, when Easton came out with the Pro Fields, you know, right now, these first nice days of spring, that's when I got out and really started shooting them side by side, comparing them to what was working really well for me the season before. So, you know, if you're wanting to do some practicing and some experimenting, right now's the time. Get a jump on it. Okay, uh, next question I've got here is how can I perform better? at the bigger events. And, uh, you know, it's funny that I got that question today because, um, here in the last few weeks, I just returned back from Europe and I was over there for a couple big tournaments and I was working with, um, a couple top level archers. And, uh, while I was there, I was watching a lot of the, the high level archers shoot and, you know, nothing really changes uh, in archery. You know, it's been a long time since I've shot on a tour. But uh, it's funny, you know, the first day uh, the shoot opens up and people pile onto the practice range and they just shoot and shoot and shoot. And, you know, and I and I even ask people, I'm like, man, you're shooting a lot. And they're like, well, I haven't really had t- much time to practice lately. And you know, honestly, overshooting at the tournament is like a big no-no. Honestly, guys, if you want to improve your performance at the events, if you haven't been shooting much, then don't go to the event and expect your stamina to hold up for you. You're better off making sure your sight is good, making sure that your marks are good, shoot a few rounds, but don't overshoot. I mean, don't all of a sudden make the tournament your, you know, don't go there to make up for all the other days where you haven't been practicing at all. Because every single time that's happened, negative things come of it. And the other thing too is, um, you know, make sure when you go to the tournament, you got your equipment together. Because for me, it's just a super big pet peeve when, an archer goes to a tournament and says, well, I only got three arrows. I need to build some arrows tonight. Or, you know, I'm really wanting to try such and such arrow and I haven't been able to do it, but I'm going to do them tonight and just sight them in in the morning. It's like, you know, if you want to really improve your tournament success, then you need to create a itinerary for yourself for that tournament and you need to stick with it. No different than if you were going to work or if you had a big day where you had some meetings. You need to to set an itinerary to where you know when you're going to go to bed. You know when you're going to get up. And you're also going to know how much you're going to practice so that you don't over-practice or over-train for that particular event. The other thing, too, is um, really watching what you eat at events you know i know that it was a mistake i bet i made 
a hundred times when I was shooting on all three pro tours because, you know, I didn't get to eat out very much when I was at home. So when, when I flew down to, to Gainesville, you know, the first thing I'd try to do is find, find the outback and eat the biggest steak that I could find. Or, um, actually I think my first pro event was in Abilene, Texas. And, uh, I think I ate at a restaurant there called Cattleman's. I think I was there and George Dixon was there at the time. And, uh, you know, you could order steaks by the inch and, you know, I ate the biggest steak I could possibly eat. And I remember specifically thinking that the reason I couldn't sleep that whole first night at my first pro event was because of my nerves. When in all fairness, looking at myself now, I know that when I eat a big, heavy meal like that with red meat right before I need to go to bed, I'm just not going to get the sleep. So, you know, I think for people to, to try to order foods that are similar to what they're normally eating, you know, don't order something that's extremely outside of the box. Um, because sometimes that can, that can play a part in how much you're resting and really your resting and your relaxation time at a big event are super critical. If you are just starting to go to these big tournaments, you know, I know it's exciting and you want to walk around at the booths all day long and you want to go out and, and go to the restaurant and have a big meal and hang out with all the shooters. But honestly, I always save the last day to do that because if you take those first two days and uh, set yourself an itinerary and stick with it, look at that tournament just like if you're going to a job, then, you know, don't make it work because obviously you want it to be fun and there's, there's definitely a fine line there. But, you know, you need to realize if you're going to go there and you're trying to perform the same as you do at home when you're shooting your personal best, then you need to have all the cards in your favor. And that's going to definitely include your diet, getting rest, and not overtraining. 100% I can promise you. So put that to use and and I'm certain that will help you out. Uh, Okay, let's see. The next question I got here, um, and this is a question I get asked all the time, to be honest with you, is why don't I shoot anymore? And that's pretty simple. You know, when, when I was shooting, um, I didn't have a family that was depending on me and I wasn't traveling, doing the same sort of things that I do right now. So, you know, I love competing and I love to be honest, I love the preparation for the competing more so than the actual tournament. Um, I just like having goals and I like having something to, to train for and get ready for. But in saying that, um, ever since I started working with Olympic coaches and national teams in different countries, um, I'm starting to see or I'm starting to really get just as much personal satisfaction out of some of my students that are out there that are that are now winning the same types of events that I won you know five six seven years ago so do I miss shooting competitively certainly um will I ever shoot competitively again 
maybe. Uh, you know, my boy is a freshman in high school right now, and, uh, you know, I've kind of been waiting for the time when, when little Dud uh, decides he wants to maybe go see a tournament or something. Uh, you know, years and years ago, uh, Jeff Hopkins and I became really good friends, and and uh, it's funny because, you know, Jeff lived in, in Delaware and I lived in Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, we, we actually got together in the off season a few times and, and had some really cool experiences, but here we are probably, you know, him and I were talking, I guess it's been almost, you know, 16, 17 years later. And Jeff has now bought a farm here in Iowa and he's, he's moved here and he's only like five miles from me. So, um, you know, I look forward to, to having Jeff here with me. It gives me someone that I can practice with that can push me. But uh, more importantly, it's going to allow me to, to shoot at some 3Ds again. So you never know. I might show up at a tournament. But for the most part, I'm just really having a lot of uh, personal satisfaction with the coaching that I'm doing. And, uh, and really, so much of my time is dedicated towards... Uh, the show right now and then also a lot of uh, the types of things I do for companies behind the scenes I do a lot of you know photography for different companies I do a lot of R&D work a lot of new product development work for several companies so we've got a lot of stuff going on and for me to totally be ready for a tournament it really does take about three weeks of preparation and intense, you know, training every day. And I just don't have three weeks at a time right now to dedicate to that. And honestly, the pros that are out there, you guys are so good right now. Uh, you know, I'm certain that I could go out there and, and do well, but to be able to know that I'm there with the possibility of winning, that takes at least three or four weeks of dedication of my time. And right now I just don't have it. So sorry if I'm not out there. Sorry for, uh, you know, I miss a lot of the people that I used to see on the tours. Um, I'm sure I'll see you guys again at some point, but for right now it's just not in the cards. So um, what I'd like to do now is uh, before we wrap this thing up and again, you know, make sure you guys go to dudleyarchery.info or knockontv.com and click on that articles tab because there's a lot of great information there for you. Um, if you ever reprint it anywhere, I would really appreciate you sending me a message and asking permission for that so that I can document it because there's unfortunately been several of my articles and a lot of my photography that's been uh, taken from me. And it, I, I like sharing it, but I also like to make sure that people know where it came from. So uh, here for the, for the last part of the show, I want to kind of jump into a, a little bit of a hunting subject. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get my good buddy Christian Berg, editor of Peterson's Bowhunting, on the phone with us. And uh, we're going to finalize this show by talking a little bit of hunting with Christian. So let's get him on the line. All right, Christian, are you there? Yeah, I'm here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't couldn't have picked a probably a better authority for 
for the bow hunting world other than the editor of Peterson's Bow Hunting. So welcome Christian Berg to podcast number one for for Knock On. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big honor. Um, You know, uh, you're off to a pretty illustrious start here. I don't know if you'll be able to top this going forward, John. No, I know. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. I'm gonna I'll probably have to to make a call out on my Facebook to see if anyone's worthy to to beat Christian, but either, either probably, way I, probably get Randy Ulmer to blow me out of the water next week. <laughs> I probably I know I could get Randy, but no, I, and who knows, dude, um depending on how well this goes over, this <laughs> there might not be number 2, so <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so you could say that I'm like the kiss of death. <laughs> exactly. That's why I've got you on last. No, that'll that'll work perfect. Well, hey, I wanted to um you and I were talking the other day and we kinda got on a subject that I thought the listeners, you know, probably are gonna um totally be able to to relate to. Do you remember what we were talking about? Yeah, we were talking about my shoulder and the issues that I've been having there. Yeah, because you're you were starting to get uh get your practice going again, which is kind of this is the time of year and we talked a little bit about that. This is kind of the time of year to either start messing around with if you're making equipment changes, you know, it's a great time of year to buy your new bow just because you've got time to break in with it, but with you, you're telling me about your your shoulder breaking in, huh? Yeah, you know, um course with you being involved on the target side as well as the hunting side you know you're you guys on the competition side are shooting you know year-round more so than even myself yeah I'm in the industry you know and and I'm dealing with with bow hunting every day but you know I live in Pennsylvania and honestly I'm just like most guys and when I finish deer hunting and November, or even if I have a late hunt down south somewhere in December, when the holidays come, you know, I get pretty busy with family. And after that, it's just butt cold, John, here in Pennsylvania. I mean, you really don't want to go outside and shoot your bow. I don't have an indoor range here at home. And I don't do a lot of shooting probably for about three months, you know, between the end of the rut and and uh, when the first signs of spring come along and you start wanting to get ready for turkey season so um i'm sure i'm not the only one that runs into some aches and pains and this year you know i've had a problem with my i'm left-handed so i hold my bow in my right right hand obviously and i've had a problem on and off with my right shoulder for for a couple years just um you know holding the bow out in front of me and getting fatigued and this year it's been worse and started to get some numbness and some tingling. So I decided to call an orthopedist and that's when I talked to you the other day when I was actually driving over for that doctor visit. Yeah. Yeah. Because sometimes, and I told you this, well, I guess we'll get to what he told you, but what I, what I know from my experience and I went through about two years of my shooting career where I was really struggling with pains in my shooting shoulder and for me, it was draw length related. Um, I had actually shortened myself up over the course of time because I was so focused on wanting to aim solid that I had continually shortened myself and shortened myself 
so that I could get my aim steadier. But what happened was once I started compressing that shoulder against my spine so much um, to steady myself, I ended up giving myself a lot of, you know, kind of pinched nerves and ended up dealing with a lot of pain. So I had told you, you know, we really need to, to take a look at making sure that that wasn't happening. But I guess in saying that, what'd the doctor say? Well, uh, unfortunately, I don't really think I got a super definitive answer, but I went in and they took some x-rays and there was no, I mean, the good news is there was nothing on the x-rays that was a major concern. You know, there's no structural damage in there. It's not like I got a bone spur or anything like that, but I've still got some popping in the shoulder and he kind of felt that. And his feeling was that I may have an impingement of my biceps tendon. I guess, you know, I'm not a doctor, obviously. He explained to me that that biceps tendon has a groove that it rides in, and he feels like my biceps tendon might be popping in and out of that groove, and maybe I've got a nerve involved there. He basically wanted me to follow up with an MRI and what they call an arthrogram, where they inject some fluid into your shoulder and see if it leaks out. And that can show them if there's a problem in a certain area, that's where the fluid is going to get out of your shoulder. But to make a long story short, John, I'm not making enough money at Peterson's bow hunting. I have a $1,500 deductible on my health plan, and that was going to pretty much eat up my whole deductible for the year. And so I told him I'll call him back when it gets really bad. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I think I think I'm at the point of trying to manage this, you know, because... I agree with it. I mean, and the doctor, well, here's the thing, John, the doctor said, I, cause I said, well, let's say it is the biceps tendon, you know, what's the course of treatment? And he said, it's going to be physical therapy unless that doesn't help. And then, then it's going to be surgery after that. So I'm thinking, well, why do I need to spend $1,500 to get an MRI when I can just do physical therapy, right? And try and get it better anyway. And then I'll deal with it if it, if it gets worse or if it doesn't improve and then I'm not out 1500 bucks. Yep. Well, so because you can buy a new bow for fifteen hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know what's funny is I actually had injured my shoulder to the point where I went into a doctor one time years ago, and it was my last time going to a doctor for my shoulder because uh, this dude walked out with like I don't know I swear it had to have been a ten inch needle, and he freaking gave me like a cortisone shot directly into my ball socket and mm -hmm. I can still I can still feel that needle like when he was kind of grinding it around in that socket like trying to get it to like slide down into there oh. <laughs> dude <laughs> Man, that's nasty. I, yeah, cuz I mean, you know, I've got a pretty I've got a pretty solid stomach. I can stomach a lot of stuff, but I when I was sitting there watching that dude do that cuz he was nervous cuz he was about half my size. So he 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 was looking at me thinking, "Okay, this this big guy's kind of not not really liking this right now." So he kind of messed around and then he pulled it out and he said, I can't find this right spot. And I said, well, dude, if you're going to do it, do it. Quit dilly dallying around. So, so then he, <laughs> so then he like went in again and he was like kind of wiggling it all about and I could feel it grinding. And then, and then like when it went in, it kind of like, it kind of made like this sound like, 
like you could tell, you know, like when you're kind of slicing a hip or something, I mean, it made like that ball and socket sound. And I just remember there was like this real, real old lady nurse in there. She looked like, um, she looked like Mary's roommate in that movie, something about Mary. (laughs) She looked like that. (laughs) And she's, I just remember looking at me and saying, stay with me, honey, stay with me. Cause evidently I was kind of turning white. (laughs) But, yeah, I walked out of there and thought, screw it, I'm going to figure out another way to get my shoulder better. So, and, and honestly, the best thing and the one thing that really, really, really helped me was um, I joined a pool where I could start swimming. And, uh, and honestly, swimming motions are great therapy for sore shoulders, 100%. But... Also, for those of you out there, I can say from experience that if you continually shorten your draw length to the point where your front shoulder is pressing up against your neck, if you look at a broadside picture of yourself, if your front shoulder is higher than the rear shoulder, then that shoulder's starting to creep, and that can definitely cause pains in the shoulders. Just like if you shoot with either a hyperextended front arm or a very dramatic bent front arm, that can also start to give you a lot of problems, not only in your rotator cuff, but also in your elbow. That that really develops the tennis elbow problem. Well, you know, there's there's any manner of, of problems that you can come up with, and unfortunately, uh, no, none of us are getting any younger. And I just think it's, you know, it's just a reminder that, you know, I turned 40 last year, so I kind of feel like I'm starting to fall apart. I just got to, like you said, you know, do a better job of maintaining all the time. And I'm going to, I'm not going to, I don't want to baby myself this year, but I'm going to baby myself for a little while here. And I'm going to try and get up to speed and just do some strengthening exercises. And I'm still going to shoot, but if it starts barking, you know, I'll just back off and try to gradually get myself built up. But I mean, you think about the long-term alternatives to not doing that is going to be, you know, shoulder surgery or not, you know, not being able to shoot at all, or, you know, that's not really an option in my position. So we're going to have to figure something out. Yeah. Well, I think, I actually think this is a this will be a perfect time. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give some pretty uh, basic rules of thumbs for everyone out there to mainly to prevent any type of uh, you know shoulder injury. I'm gonna give you guys a couple pieces of advice here just from listening to Christian talk, and uh, you know a lot of the guests that I have, you know we're just gonna start talking and. And, you know, honestly, this is what I do with a lot of my students because then I can start to understand maybe what you're needing help with and then give you some advice. So three things there. One is going to be, you know, when you first start shooting again, and I did this even as a target archer, you know, what's nice about being a target archer is um, at least for, for like, you know, international target archery, you know, it's a 60-pound max. So I only shoot 60 pounds when I'm shooting target. So it's a very good warm up for, you know, a heavier hunting bow. So during the downtime, if you're a hunter, don't be afraid to back your bow off so that you can shoot with some more repetition. 
you know, don't be afraid to shoot 60 pounds during the downtime and then move your bow weight up five, six, seven pounds during the hunting season. That's going to be the first thing. The second thing is definitely don't be afraid of what I called cycling. And this is important regardless of what sport you're in, whether you're a bow hunter, a target archer, um, weightlifter, really anything. Um, Cycling is utilizing those down months, which we have about three months of downtime. So do golfers or pro baseball players or whatever. But that's a great time of year to get your mind off that and let your body you know, recuperate no different than the bucks, you know, bucks have spent, you know, they've been working it hard right now. You see them, they're just chilling. They're going to be chilling for the next several months. So, you know, don't be afraid to take a break, um, you know, from archery. If you're, especially if you're hunting really hard all year long, because ideally your body needs it without a doubt, back your weight down for sure. And then also, The last thing is when it comes to exercise, you know, this time of year, Christian, is like the time of year for everyone's New Year's resolutions. And the number one New Year's resolution I continually hear is I'm going to get in shape this year. So, you know, when Mm -hmm. it comes to front shoulder injury, and I'm going to tell you this because a lot of my friends have encountered this, like they went out and got P90X, right, which, you know, and and honestly, I've I did the I've did several of the insanity workouts and they're great. However, the movements in those where you do moving push-ups or moving pull-ups, those both of those are huge red flags for an archer to that is a movement that is gonna almost guarantee some type of shoulder aggravation, especially if you're an archer that has been putting a lot of wear and tear on your front rotator cuff anyway. So mm-hmm. avoid any type of crossover movements when it comes to pull-ups or pull-ups because I've had several friends that end up hurting themselves for almost the whole season because they're trying to get in better shape during this time of year. So that's uh that's my two cents for this and uh you know honestly Christian I want to um I want us to get together and and maybe dive into some deer hunting tactics or maybe some turkey hunting tactics here on a on a future podcast but uh you oh, know absolutely I absolutely d- and you've got a great you've got a you've got great podcasts too. I mean, you and I have done a couple for Peterson's Bow Hunting, but Peterson's Bow Hunting Radio uh, is a great source for people to listen to. So make sure uh, if you want to get into some great bow hunting topics, uh, make sure you check out uh, you know that podcast with with Christian. You'll definitely get some great information over that way too. Yeah, I appreciate that plug, John. You know my first. My first hunt for this year will be with Hoppy down in Florida. I'll be going after my my Osceola this year, so that's April seventh. So I've that's got awesome. I've got about a month to get ready. And you know the frustrating thing about the shoulder, and you were talking about things that jack it up, whether it be Insanity P ninety X. I'll tell you my my experience with Insanity consists of sitting on the couch watching my wife do it, and uh, that's pretty entertaining, <laughs> but. That that is a pretty pretty insane workout. I don't think I'm going to be like signing up for that because that's 
that's like 90 days of hell. Yeah, um, well, it but, is, but you got to do but, it. Yeah, I know. You are you do it for me, buddy. But <laughs> um, I think, you know what really jacked up my shoulder this winter was the snow. I honestly, yeah, I know you could have thrown it, was, it out. You could have easily thrown it's it out with a shovel. snow getting, you know, every week, six inches, ten inches. Absolutely, we had man. Inches. We had 19 inches here the week before last, and I'm telling you, after that storm, my shoulder was just killing me for like two, three days. Yep. So, yep. Mother Nature's not doing me any favors, but the worst thing about it really is, you know, when you're hunting, I mean, you only need to make one good shot, hopefully, right? Knock on wood if we don't screw it up. The problem yep. with the injury is, you know, of course you want to practice to be able to to be able to make that one good shot, and that's where it hampers you, you know, yeah. because in practice I can only shoot for a short time and I've got that fatigue in the shoulder, and then you're not getting good practice at that point. You know, you're getting sloppy practice, and you're probably not doing yourself any favors. So we'll get it figured out, buddy, because we're hunting this year, man. I'm drawing that Iowa tag, so Heck yeah, yeah. you've got to follow up. Let's do a turkey episode. And, uh, yeah, we need to do that for soon, your, you know, for your some, Osceola some, for sure. Sometime, sometime before that Osceola hunt, let's do a turkey episode. All right. Well, for all you archers out there, uh, I guess we're gonna sign off here. But uh, I think I think it's definitely fair to say that any of the archers out there should be able to to ask their spouse for either you know a four wheeler with a plow on it or um shoveling service for their yard simply for the fact that they it's a it's an injury preventative for their front shoulder no question yeah and, and our wives know how cranky we get if we can't shoot so. yeah yeah i think i think if if you're a wife and your husband's the archer and you're listening then you should probably get out there and get like a yamaha grizzly with the moose plow on it and uh just get it to your husband just just so that you know you're taking care of his front shoulder that's that's really what great, needs to happen it's a great marital aid there's no <laughs> doubt about it all right well thanks christian for joining us and thanks everybody for listening and uh hopefully you tune in again to another podcast here with uh with knock on thanks a lot man no problem bye everybody Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com